So if you're anything like me, you do a lot of your online shopping, well, a lot of your shopping at all on Amazon. So if this is the case for you and you're looking to buy something anyway, if you go to our website at tensandaces.com, near the top of the page, you will see an Amazon banner ad. If you click there, prior to making a purchase on Amazon, it will open up your Amazon app just like normal. Or if you're in a browser, go to the Amazon webpage just like it would normally if you were to type in amazon.com. The only thing that's different is that because you click through our referral link, the Tens and Aces podcast will get a small little commission on whatever you buy. It doesn't cost you anything. It's just a good way to support the show and show your love for TNA and, you know, help cover some of the cost that it costs to make this thing. So remember, if you're going to buy something on Amazon anyway, go to tensandaces.com, click the Amazon banner, and then you're good to go. And you're helping out something you like, like this podcast. And it's a win-win, win-win, win-win-win. Oh, and why I got you here, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Now, enjoy the show. One of these losers in Las Vegas who keeps thinking he's going to come up with a way to win at Blackjack. Are you ready for some TNA? Welcome to TNA, the Tens and Aces podcast. A podcast with true-to-life stories and experiences from advantaged players in the game of blackjack. From pros crushing it and making a living counting cards, to newer players who are just making their way through all the ups and downs of what can be, at times, both an equally frustrating and beautiful game of AP Blackjack. Is this the kind of thing you want to hear? Well, listen up, because we're about to give you some TNA. Here's your host, Mike AP. And welcome to the show today. As the man just said, I'm your host of this transmission of our experiment in imaginary radio that we like to call TNA, the Tens and Aces podcast. So if this is the kind of thing you want to hear, well, listen up, because we're about to give you some TNA. With me today is Socrates, a pro AP, plays mostly blackjack, but does other AP things. How's it going today, man? Uh, It's going well. Thanks for having me on. So I usually start these things with some kind of an origin story. How did you get into playing blackjack or AP in general? Yeah. So, I mean, when I was younger, I was always into gambling and, you know, just finding ways to to make money or get an edge. Started playing poker online um, and just kind of learning, you know, how, how to play poker and be skilled at it. Kind of grew up during that online poker boom. When I turned 18, actually, the movie 21 came out and I uh, watched that. Thought it was super, super interesting. Went to a store, picked up a book, went to go play blackjack. Thought I kind of knew what I was doing and had no idea what I was doing and didn't bring <laughs> any, like hardly any money with me and lost pretty quickly and then went home with my head down and tail tucked, uh, trying to figure out kind of what I need to do to be a better blackjack player. Right. And then from there, you read the book and got better. Or- so, yeah. So from there, uh, I picked up like a book from Barnes and Noble and I wouldn't even recommend I think it was a Cardoza book on Mm -hmm. uh, basic strategy, just kind of like how to minimize the house edge. It wasn't on how to play with an edge. Uh, This was, you know, more than 10 years ago. So uh, I I picked up that book, learned basic strategy and, and actually 
did basic strategy near perfect at that time. Just went back, continued, you know, being a, a small loser. Did some research on card counting not that long after and tried it, but never really could do it seriously. At the time, I was only counting like one card at the time. I wasn't understanding the the, the basic concept of canceling out the cards, right? Or just using methods to practice efficiently and, and have it memorized, right? So yeah, I, I tried just kind of like quasi counting and never really worked. And so I went into actually some comp hustling because the local casino near me was offering like really good comps. Like every day they'd give you a match play. And I started realizing like, hey, I can come here, get my 50 bucks in comp play, and then I can sign my girlfriend up. I can sign my friends up and they might hook me up with Mm -hmm. comps. And I'm like doing the math and I'm like, I can make like 7,500 bucks a day doing this. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) and I started doing that because it was the, the, the casino was so close to my house. So I started doing that and uh, making some money. And then I started like hedging my comps on certain games. And so I would pretty much guarantee or lock in a win that way. Yeah, that lasted for like almost a year until the casino was like, hey, we don't we don't allow you to do that anymore. Essentially, they kind of backed me off of uh, was a Baccarat, let me guess. Yeah, it was it, it was some Baccarat and a couple other games. Yeah. Exactly. I, I remember the pit boss actually the, for the first time having a problem with it because it was it was totally fine for like a year. And then one day it was a pit boss I've actually never seen there. And he just comes up and like, you can't do that. And I started arguing with them and I was like, well, in the end, it's pretty much the same. Either I bet this match play, I'm going to win half the time. And in the long run, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll end up winning about the same or I can hedge it now. What difference does it make to you? And he's like, you just can't do it. <laughs> yeah, because of people like me who were really abusing it. And uh, so it worked out great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Until, it, until it didn't, like all these all these hustles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyways, yeah, that that turned into many years of, I guess, playing poker. And I was a small winner in poker, but nothing big. And then a new casino uh, actually popped up near my house, a big tribal. That's when I started trying to figure out initially how to dice control on crafts. Picked up a book on it. It was like, you know, started keeping my records and I was still a net loser. So I kind of gave that up. And, uh, you know, for most of the listeners out there, like it's, um, you know, dice control is really, really hard. Apparently you can do it, but you got to find the right games and everything. Um, so it's mm-hmm. anyways, it, it didn't work at the shop I was at. I don't think I was sharp enough in all of my recordings to make it work. So I gave that up, got tired of losing. And then I started throwing cards at my kitchen table and going back into the whole counting thing. Picked up a book, uh, Black Belt on Blackjack by uh, Arnold Snyder and started just kind of self-learning that, like without any resources, just picked up the book. And there's a lot of good stuff in there. You know, he went over all the different count methods, you know, bankroll management, you know, converting the running count to the true count. And so I, I said, you know what, I'm going to really try this. And so I took 800 bucks to the casino, got really lucky and won nine out of my first 10 sessions. Wow. $800 turned into initially like five grand. And I was like, okay, this is pretty good. 
and and I wasn't like I, I, all I knew was you know I knew how to count I knew the basic strategy I knew some of the deviations uh, a little bit of bankroll management but not much I was way over betting my bankroll I, my idea was to just kind of have a small like replenishing bankroll if it if it didn't work out but um, over guess, over betting your bankroll is fine when you win nine out of ten or whatever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And if obviously if you're like have a replenishable bankroll, you can, you know, operate yeah. with a bit higher risk of ruin. But yeah, so that's when like when I started to like piling up some money and like winning, that's when I actually joined Blackjack Apprenticeship. That's when I really got to understand the nuances and the and the real basic concepts that you need to learn to be successful at this. You know, that was obviously good bankroll management, understanding N0, the software on the site that really helps you calculate, you know, your expected value. I got 700 hours in that tribal casino uh, and turned that $800 into just over $100,000 in that uh, about a year and a half period of time. Sweet. I know which casino you're referring to. Yeah. We'll keep it general here. Anyway, they are notoriously, either they don't care or they don't know. A little bit of both until you get to a certain point, then they cut you off. Yeah. Generally, they are pretty tolerant. Uh, But I do think my story is a little unique there. And the reason why is because of the nearby casinos, many of the, the the staff knew me there either as a poker player or a losing player, right? I kind of already had good rapport. Um, so that was number one. And then number two, and this is stuff I picked up actually from many of the books I read afterwards. So I started with Black Belt and Blackjack, um, but then like just devoured every Blackjack book there was. Like I read everything under the sun. But one of the books was talking about how, you know, when you're starting to get heat, how to really react to that and utilize that sometimes towards your advantage. I remember when I was starting out and I was red chipping, I, I was still like, young, you know, I was, I was still new and like shifty eyed and just like doing everything what, you know, pretty much everything a new counter does. Mm-hmm. And I, I, but I did hear like this pit boss look over at me and kind of point towards my direction and say, we need to do a review on him. I looked and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening. And I was like, my top bets at that time was like two by 60. So I, I get off the table and I go to like the lounge area and I start thinking, okay, what do I do here? Do I go back and play more? Do I just leave and then come back another day? And I started remembering like how, you know, if you know they're doing a review on you to like use some cover. And so I went back and just for one shoe, I just played like an idiot pretty much just for one shoe at small levels. For whatever reason, after that, like I got no heat. I started, you know, I, I went back to playing the way I normally play and I got 700 hours. I think that I think that had something to do with it. I mean, in hindsight, we'll never know. But I, I really think that was a turning point. Yeah, there's other APs that play at that shop that I know of. I, you probably know these people, actually. Yeah. They play every day, early morning shift when there's few people there. So, and they have... Yeah not quite that many hours but they're getting up there some of them yeah well i mean a lot of it has to do with your you know the level of bets you're playing like um unless you're in like vegas or something but yeah i i mean i was i was going three hands of table max there and doing that consistently for the, like the last two three hundred hours and still that's, no. yeah that's very tolerant yeah so but that's what i'm saying is i don't think a new person coming in just when like if, if a new person went in guns blazing like that you know, spreading from one hand to 25 to to three hands at table max. If they don't know them, they're probably going to back them off 
fairly quickly, like within a couple hours there. And when that large native place came in, the surrounding casinos around there, they they poached a lot of their dealers and floor people. So like you were saying, a lot of those people knew you as a loser, you know, yeah. or a poker player. So you were just Joe Gambler to them. That bought you a lot of time. Yeah, exactly. That was the impression I wanted to give off there. You don't want to go into a shop and look and act like a card counter, obviously. So yeah, get through security, get in and go straight to one table, sit down and sit there <laughs> with your with your Starbucks for for six hours. You don't want to do that. <laughs> no, no. I, I highly encourage you not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I may or may not have done that before. <laughs> no, and it's tempting, right? I mean, it's it, it's funny you mention that because it is it's tempting because it's it's comfortable, right? Like you get to a point when you're especially if you're playing at the same shop over and over again, it's nice to just kind of clock in, get your coffee, you know what your EV is going to be, you know that you're not going to get much heat and it's it's a beautiful thing, but that is like, that's a quick road to being backed off, honestly. Oh yeah, absolutely. Maybe you walk by a couple tables and the first table you see with the cut card cut deep in that shoe, you're like, sit down. (laughs) And I, uh, so I bankroll a buddy of mine. He, he got a good amount of hours there as well, but I think it was in some ways, it was a little bit of a detriment to his game to do that because he kind of got too comfortable. Right. And so it was like, you know, he's, you know, he, he would go in there and treat it like a job and you'd clock in and clock out. While that's nice and all for that moment in time, I think it can hold you back to exploring other areas and going to other casinos and really, you know, learning all the other different ways to beat the game. But there's definitely something to be said about, right, being able to put in time and know that, you know, you're going to get that time in and and get a pretty, you know, reasonable amount of EV out of it. Yeah. I've gotten thousands and thousands of dollars worth of mispays there. Um, and, And it's really, of all the places, and I play all over the country now, but when I was there, like, I compare that to the, all the other places I played, and it's significantly higher amount of mispays there just because it's a newer place. The dealers aren't trained as well. Yeah. I mean, for whatever reason, it's like, yeah, it it can be a pretty lucrative. I think, you you know, sometimes I joke with my friends, like you might be able to just play a positive game without counting because of the amount of mispays that you get, but definitely. Do you think think if you hadn't played rated that you would have lasted longer? Not at this place. I think in general, it depends on shop to shop. But I, I think that this place, because of my me being a local, I actually think I got way longer because I played rated. Right. It's funny how that works because some shops, uh, they don't even care. If they'll ask you for, you want a player's card? And you say, no, they don't they don't care. Some places, it's immediate suspicion. If they don't know who you are, they freak the fuck out. Yep. But if you play rated, as long as they know who you are, they don't care. Until they do. But Exactly. And there were a few things like coming back because I felt like I could have lasted even more uh, hours. Uh, but that at that place, I think there were a few things that occurred that caused them to review my game again. Because I do think I pat that like back to that story earlier that I shared about like using cover with surveillance. And at one point, I think that really did buy me a lot of time. What occurred is I started winning, you know, because my top bets were three ends of table max. And I was, you know, I'd have these sessions where I would have, you know, eight, $10,000 swings. It was, you know, the, once I got over five grand, they started doing table review. Once they start the table review and you take more than a certain amount from a table, 
they're they're gonna do an extra review, and that's when it started happening. If I I, th- I feel like if I kept my top bets lower, or at least was cognizant of how much I was taking from a specific table, I would have gotten a lot more hours in. Even so and then the second yeah. aspect is how much you cash in the cage as well. That causes a review, and I was I was cognizant of that. I mean, I would make sure to cash in under their you know requirements quite often, but there was still a few times where it just yeah. And I'd sometimes have my friends or my wife come in and cash in chips and stuff like that but that wasn't it so much like even if i did three or four that i don't even think that caused an issue i think it was more so at that point in time the table wins and let's take a little quick commercial break be right back Hey, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and my biggest regret when I started out as a card counter was that I didn't have the tools I needed to succeed as a professional blackjack player. Because of that, I basically spent the first 500 hours of my career with a losing game and insanely high risk of ruin. Well, I've spent the last decade building out at blackjackapprenticeship.com the resources you need to not make the same mistakes I did, like the training tools to get a perfect game and the software you need to put together bet spreads and to scout casinos and network with other advantaged players. Learn more about what our membership has to offer by going to blackjackapprenticeship.com. Hey there, listeners. This is Mike here again. I just want to tell you a few things that are going on relating to the show. First off, we started a Facebook page called Tens and Aces Blackjack. On there, we can post threads on the episode. People can leave comments about the episodes and other stuff relating to the show, as well as general blackjack and AP-related discussions. We've also recently launched the tensandaces.com website, where you can find all kinds of good stuff relating to the show on there. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can do that by emailing us at tensandaces, the number 21 at gmail.com. That's tensandaces, 21 at gmail.com. Or you can call the show's voicemail and text line at area code 518-289-0478. That's area code 518-289-0478. And last but not least, I'd like to thank all the people who donated money to help supplement what it costs to produce this show. Thank you. It is greatly appreciated. And if you yourself are feeling generous and you feel like supporting something you like, like this show, that would be awesome if you could throw a few bucks in TNA's direction. (laughs) But if you don't, we still love you anyway. It's all good and no worries. But if you are so inclined, you can accomplish that at our website, tensandaces.com. Just click on support the show. So do you have any good stories? (laughs) I have a ton of funny stories. I was at a place um, in another state. I was, I was with my buddy who's on my team, and we're both counting a table and we're actually playing at, at double deck tables. And the intel that we got was that they're very tolerant. We could get a ton of time. So we're both playing heads up at separate tables and just spreading like crazy. Like, you know, one hand of table men, the two hands of table max, and the table max was a uh, thousand. You know, we're getting some good EV there. The pit boss was actually a dual rate. You could tell like it was like maybe his first or second time like actually, you know, working that shift and, and like, you know, managing the tables and stuff. He's sitting there and you could tell like he couldn't figure out like how to like work the computer and he would come by the table, like look at you and then look at the computer. And he's like, damn it, I can't get this computer to work. <laughs> I'm just like, 
<laughs> I had a mask on, which was great because I was laughing so hard. Like I couldn't, I could not stop my smile. It was just so funny. <laughs> the best part is, so he, he gets on the phone, looks at like my action. He's, he's calls the, the floor supervisor and says, Hey, I want to do a, a skills check. Cause I, I think uh, there's somebody here. He's bending, you know, pretty big action and just, just to check and, you know, be sure. The guy comes over. I happen to be back to table minimum because the, the true count's like zero or negative. Uh, I actually get a blackjack. Dealer's showing an ace and the, the floor supervisor's there kind of trying to chat with me. And he's like, oh, what are you going to do there? I, I look and I'm like, you know what? I'll take even money. He's like, okay. And then he turns around, goes to the uh, the dual rate and says, you know, he took even money and most blackjack counters don't do that. I don't I don't think he's a counter. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, was, and, it, was it a positive three? Well, what was the count? The count was just a zero. So I, I took it just as a cover play, right? Because I, I know, you know, I, I don't do, right. I, I usually don't do it yeah. unless it's a true thing. But I, in that scenario, I thought, you know, this is a good opportunity. The, the cost is very, very small on that play for the amount of money I was betting, especially. And so I said, okay, yeah, I'll take uh, even money. And so he goes over and says, you know, we'll check on him later, but I think, you know, I think he's good. We proceed to get two more hours in. <laughs> My buddy and I are up combined like 19000 on this casino at this point. And then the dual rate gets a random call. And it's obviously from surveillance. He looks at us, looks at me, looks at my my buddy who's in the table next to me, who, by the way, they had no clue. He was counting. They look at, looks at me, looks at him and says, they're both counters? <laughs> and, I, and I hear this like so audibly, like this guy is just clueless. I play half a shoe, count goes negative. I pick up my, uh, pick up my chips, tell my buddy it's time to go, signal him out. We head on out. But I thought that was just hilarious. Like how that happened. <laughs> Did you play there again? So that was the end of the trip, but we plan on going back because it was like towards midnight. We really debated going back on the graveyard shift, but we ended up just getting some sleep and, and heading back. Yeah, that's kind of poking the bear there. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean, though. You're not going to be back there for a while. Why not? So, but yeah. yeah, the EV on this game, like between the both of us, was over a thousand bucks an hour. It was just like it, yeah. was, it was ridiculous. So that was part of the reason why we were like, "Gosh, man, there's just I don't want to leave any more money on the table." But you know, we were up nineteen thousand, and we were, we were pretty happy with that for the two or three day trip that it was. So the chances of getting a clueless dual rate again on the next shift, or yeah, like I said though, the, this place was super tolerant. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if we got in, even if they you know this guy was a little sharper we still probably could have gotten a couple hours in that's great man (laughs) it's always mystifying how they have how they're just clueless sometimes i don't get it yeah yeah it is and then sometimes they're sharper right so i have uh another story as a casino in in arizona where i was betting pretty high action and uh, i was back counting a table in the high limit room there the count just went super high i mean went to like plus 27 it was just stupid i get in there's like three decks left i start betting two hands a table max which was like you know over there in in arizona it's like 1300 bucks immediately i get two tens and the dealers got a six so i I start splitting the tens i split four times i get two aces and it's just crazy end up winning about eight thousand those last three decks you know the heat's going off like crazy phone calls are being made like everywhere so I, i go into the main pit not in the high limit room and sit down there for about 15 minutes start playing i I was doing a team play so like my my buddy on on occasion would you know would wong me into to his his game he would he would he would wong out yeah he was a spotter bp play so Mm -hmm. i I tried to do that obviously to you know avoid too much 
heat, but in the end it didn't really matter. I think at that point they just were like pissed that I took so much money so quickly and uh guy comes out and at this place they're super um nice with the back offs like traditionally from the intel that I got. This guy wasn't so nice. He brought the security guard over. Uh you know, can you leave, you know, sir, can you back off from the table? And I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. And uh, I immediately grabbed my chips cuz I I usually uh I, I just I don't know, it's habit or whatever. I just I I, I never know what's going to happen. I've heard stories of, you know, them them taking the chips from the table and things like that. So I was just like, I grab mm-hmm. my chips in my pocket and say, yeah, sure. How, how can I help you? And he's like, oh, so you know what's going on? And I said, no, no, what, what's going on? You know, uh, he's like, uh, you know, you've been backed off here before and, you know, we're going straight trespass you. And, and I said, well, whoa, wait, wait a second. I have actually never been backed off here before. This is my first time here, just the truth. And he's like, well, I think, you know, maybe it was another property. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, we know who you are. And I'm like, okay, well, what's my name? He's like, well, I, I don't, you know, I don't know, but we know who you are. <laughs> like, okay. And he's like, well, you know, here's the thing, you know, you can go cash out. We'll, we'll uh, you know, you don't have to give your ID if you want you. I'm sure you know your rights. And I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to leave and you guys have a nice day. And so I start walking out and the security guards, this is, this guy's like the head of security. So he starts walking down with me. He's like, wait, you're not going to cash out your chips. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to cash out my chips. I'm going to just walk out. He's like, well, you know, if, if you come back here, your chips are no good here. <laughs> I'm like, oh, uh, okay, well, these are fungible items. So uh, I, I think I know what to do with them. And, uh, and then I just left, but it was just funny. Like, he's just like following me out the door, going to the, you know, going to the car and telling me like, my chips are no good. It's like, what, what do you think? Like, what do you think, you know, man? <laughs> yeah, right. Like you're an idiot. Like but you don't I mean, have another way to get rid of that, them. Right. You know, it's like, I, I think he truly believed like, like that I was going to walk in there or that like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't know that we share that we buy chips from people and all that. He doesn't know that apparently. So yeah. <laughs> Another good story is, so we're at this casino up north, we're doing a team play, and I get backed off. What what happened in the back off is, it was initially just a flat bet. She backs me off, says basically, I mean, basically it was like no blackjack, but you can play anything else, right? So I said, okay, great. So I start walking down, pretend to look at some other games, because I, I didn't want to just straight bolt out of there, because my, my buddy was there, and I was kind of waiting for him to finish up. A security guard comes up to me and says, hey, sir, can I see your ID? And I said, well, wh- what do you need my ID? for and he's like well just i just need to see it I said, no, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to walk out and I'm actually on my way out anyways. And he says, what, what you're not, you're not going to show me your ID. And I said, no, no, I'm I'm leaving. He says, well, you know, the cage is over there. You can cash in your chips over there. And I look at him and I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. And I go into the, (laughs) I go into the elevator and he start, you know, he starts, you know, speaking on his microphone, like code red, code red or whatever. And is like, getting away, he's getting away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I, I knew at this point does the license plates scanners. So Mm -hmm. I knew this point, like going straight to my car probably wasn't ideal. So what I did is I started walking around to an area where I I didn't see any cameras just to see if like I would make their job harder. And so I went there for a minute, uh, texted my buddy, Hey man, we got to go. So he, I know he's on his way. And so I waited there for a few minutes, then go back to my car. And as I'm leaving, I noticed two security guards uh, following me. I told my buddy to, to go to this kind of neighborhood I initially dropped him off at beforehand. Mm-hmm. And they're following me and I'm on the phone with my friend. And I said, hey, we, we got to like find a different spot to meet because they're following me and they're going to put us together. And I don't want that to happen. So uh, he starts walking into another neighborhood 
and there's like these lines of trees in this neighborhood. And it's like, there's, it's, it basically borders this forest. So he goes in there and I drive in, go into this cul-de-sac and the security guard doesn't follow me in the cul-de-sac. They just keep going down like this forest line, which is weird. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, they're going down this forest line. Once they pass my friend, I'll just tell them to come, you know, book it to my car and we'll leave. Well, as this is happening, they're passing my friend and he looks at the, he's, he's looking at the forest. He's on the phone with me. And he starts pointing at the forest and says, dude, there's a dead guy here. Say what? And I'm like, in this moment, I freeze and I'm thinking, <laughs> thinking this, this is like, I, I, I don't like, I can't comprehend what I'm like hearing. Like what? Like, what are you saying? There's a dead guy. He's like, no, no, there's a man laying in a bush. He's face down. He's not moving. And this is, you got to keep in mind, this is a neighborhood, right? This isn't like some homeless camp in downtown, you know, name the city, right? This is it's like- a, It's a nice area. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice area, residential area. Like, this is not a yeah. place you see people face down at. He's like yelling, there's a dead guy here. And I'm just like, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone or something. And these the, the, the security guards like are just keep driving by slowly and he's pointing and yelling. And they do nothing. They just keep driving down this road. At this point, I said, dude, just run to my car. This is super weird. Like, this is this is starting to get really weird. We got to get the heck out of here. He starts running back. And this guy that we thought was dead, like, gets up and starts, like, walking like a zombie, like, back and forth on the road, like, almost, like, chasing after him. And I'm like, get to the car. <laughs> it, was, it was like, we have a zombie apocalypse here. And, uh, yeah, so... So we got to the car and left, but that, that was uh, probably the most wild story. What have you learned? Are there any like life lessons that you learned from AP play? Yeah, man. I mean, endless. And I would say like, I mean, so I'm, I'm in the financial services industry, so it's, it's even helped me be a better advisor, you know, understanding, you know, just the mathematical concepts and understanding variance and, and really living in that variance, Right. It's one thing to have one bad session or whatever, but to to go, you know, 170 hours, which I went uh, where I basically broke even, you know, you, you really start to understand the long game and understand the ups and downs of things. So definitely that, you know, and there was areas like in my golf background that I took to AP as well, where, you know, golf's very much a methodical game and it's very mental. You know, it's really important to have a routine and things like that. And I took that skill to advantage play and that made me a stronger player. Just the, the concepts of, you know, N0 and also the, the cat and mouse game and the art and science of it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think I learned more about human nature and just also dealing with ploppies, right? The, the cognitive things that you deal with and, and associating with ploppies yes. and so social engineering is another aspect of that. That's what we do, actually. Yeah. Oh, 100% social engineering. And so that for sure has helped me. And it's helped me cope with a lot of the things that are out of my control in life, right? I think like understanding variance, you know, helps me understand like, okay, how is it possible that we have this like massive pandemic, right? Or how is it possible that, you know, my friend got in a car accident? right? You start to understand that like things are out of your control and that eventually bad things will Mm -hmm. happen. And I think that's like really true in blackjack, right? Like eventually you're going to have a bad day. Eventually you're going to 
you're going to have a bad losing session or this 200 hour break even session or something like that. Just mentally being prepared for that is huge. AP has taught me to get my steaks at Denny's. <laughs> Turn me to a cheap son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, not not literally. You know, you know what I'm saying. No, it's, it's I, I, how, yeah, no, I hear it. Like, it. It bleeds into your whole life because you're always looking from an AP perspective. You can't turn that off. Everything you're always looking at the angles, and I mean. Sometimes I think it might make me an asshole. I try to be cognizant of that and try to be, okay, this doesn't matter if I'm going to, it's going to be five bucks more here, there, whatever. It doesn't matter here. So, <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. Like I, I would say like I was a good manager of money like before blackjack, but I think I'm a much better manager of just money in general and especially bankroll management um, and understanding risk ruin because of that. And I think it's also helped me like be grounded in reality. Right. Like there's there's so much gray area that we live Mm -hmm. in as blackjack players that uh, it's sometimes the, you know, the 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 ethical dilemmas of finding right and wrong can can be a little skewed. But I think when you deal with it long enough, you start to really have a, a structure and mindset that you can you can work off of and have just a a framework that allows you to to be successful in blackjack and in life. Absolutely. Um, I'll give you an example. I, I was actually reading a book that I really, really enjoyed reading it's, uh, recently. It's called Naval, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. He's a successful investor, entrepreneur, and mo- really a modern day philosopher and has just a ton of really good insight into life and the framework necessary to be successful in whatever endeavor you're, you're really trying to, to be or, or just, you know, finding happiness and things like that. He, he had a, a quote because he's, he's also very mathematically minded. He said, because most people are intimidated by math and can't independently critique it, they overvalue opinions backed with math and pseudoscience, right? Uh-huh. Right. So I think that that can't be any more true, right, than at the blackjack table. Think, imagine being with ploppies and they're saying, well, you should stand on a, a soft 18 versus a 10. 18 is a great hand, right? They don't understand. That 18.3 right? is a winning yeah. hand. Exactly, yeah. right. They don't understand the mathematical components of it. They haven't done the research. They, they just are, and especially if the dealer says, yeah, stand on your 18, why would you Why would you hit that? Now it's even more, you know, reinforcement from someone else's opinion. And they roll their right? eyes when and we so, do it. Right, exactly. Exactly. And so that's simply because they don't understand, right, the, the nuances of it. And I don't blame them for it, right? I don't expect every person to to have spent the amount of hours uh, that I have into studying this game. Uh, but it, it just, I think, exemplifies how our society works and is driven. I mean, look at, you know, 2020 with the pandemic. How many conspiracy theories, you know, quote unquote experts were there on the coronavirus, yeah. you know? Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Yeah, and it's all based on, you know, what they call science, yeah. right? But nobody really knew or was able to actually independently figure it out. So they overvalue opinions of those professionals or quote unquote professionals versus actually doing the work themselves. And I, I suppose at the end of the day, you ask the question, you know, what'd you learn? I guess I learned that by doing the work yourself and really diving deep into something, you can start to create a framework where you find truth. I mean, it's it's been a wonderful game and I, I absolutely love, I love blackjack. It's not my primary focus right now in my, my life. You know, I have a career, I have two kids and a family and uh, you know, doing advantage play, I do other plays as well. But I, I think blackjack taught me and gave me the foundation to use a, a framework that can be uh, translated into many other areas of my life. Absolutely. And relating to the pandemic, I learned just blame the orange guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. 
But I mean, it, well, that I mean, he's I think he's the epitome of pseudoscience, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So you alluded to your golf career. Can you give us a little background for the listeners? Yeah, sure. So I'm um, growing up. I had a lot of success uh, at the junior level. I won three state championships and then played collegiately, uh, won tournaments at the amateur level and then played professionally. During that time, I was able to meet um, some pretty famous golfers like Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler and you know Arnold Palmer, some of the old greats like Gary Player, Jack Nicklaus. So we got to you know have some pretty cool experiences through that that journey and so able to play all over the country and travel and, and play internationally as well. Awesome. Uh, what did you take from that experience as a pro golfer that applies to your life today and your AP life? Yeah, I think it had a big impact. You know, golf, as I mentioned earlier, is really a mental game. You get to meet also a lot of people. And so I think on the mental side of things, it helped me really deal with adversity. And so, you know, at the, you know, when you're grinding it out on the blackjack table and you feel like, you know, you're just not getting anywhere. Um, it helped me kind of stick to it and, and really believe in the process. It also being a social game and meeting other people, I think I, it helped me deal with the artistic side of things and being able to converse with folks in the right way and have a demeanor that seemed natural and also be able to, you know, social engineer when appropriate. Yeah, it helped me on both sides, but mainly it's, yeah, that I guess stick for lack of a better word, that helped me be determined to to kind of you know achieve success yeah and you're meeting people that are at the top of their field i mean if you're a pro even a high level amateur there's good habits to learn from those people you know if they got to that point there's things that they're doing that can be emulated that uh will be helpful throughout life absolutely yeah i mean getting up in the morning and having a routine and being focused on what your goal is for the day and you know yeah when i was golfing professionally you know i've worked out three days a week, you know, I'd go to the course and have a, a game plan of how I was going to, to, to work on my game and get better. And when you translate that to back, blackjack, that's not unlike going into a casino, scouting out the games that have the most favorable pen, and then making sure that, you know, you're, you're keeping your count perfectly and your basic strategy and deviations are all memorized perfectly. And so it's just, a, you know, it's very translatable in regards to the, the skill sets that, that you're building. Um, but I think the biggest one of all, as it retains the blackjack, is the mental side. Because I think anybody can go out there and actually count perfectly and do basic strategy and even the deviations and convert the, the running count to the true count. All of that is fine. It's all the mechanical side. But having the ability to sustain losses or sustain backoffs, right, and deal with rejection, that's something that's harder to teach. I've trained some folks in the past and I've, I've uh, you know, I manage a team in my business and I, I understand human nature now more than, certainly more than I used to. And I, I think that teaching someone to be, to have grit, to, to sustain losses and deal with rejection is, is harder. Yeah, some people harder. just don't have it in them. Well, their game's perfect on paper, but they get in a casino, they can't, don't have the emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. I guess. They just don't have it in them to be able to, that's just not for them. You know, some people just, you can't, mm -hmm. you can't teach that to some people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's really hard. 
to separate the emotion that is tied with money. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in regards to, to losing money, right. And having, you know, a loss and, 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 ha- and how that affects you really relates to how money was impacted in your life when you were younger, right? Mm-hmm. Like what your relationship, I guess, with money was when you were nine years old and watching your parents, you know, talk about paying the the phone bill or whatever it was, right? Like that, that has more to do with it than anything. And then when it comes to rejection, I think that just has to do with the adversity you've faced in your life. Like in the past, like if you've been trained to deal with rejection and let's say you were in a sales environment and dealt with it, you're probably not going to be, have as big of a deal or right? big of a problem with, with back offs. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you, you know, maybe the son of a pastor and you were taught to be compliant all the time and always obey authority, you're going to be much more likely to have a problem with getting backed off, right? Because you have someone in a suit telling you, you can't do this. And so I think there's those psychological You're things. Bad. I, I happen to be really, yeah, I happen to be really fortunate, like in like growing up uh, where I actually, I dealt with a lot of rejection in school. I was bullied pretty bad in school. And so like I, I dealt with I think a lot of that, like the pain and, and going to therapy and, and seeing like what, how, how do you overcome that was really helpful. And then in golf, like golf is a sport you actually spend most of the time mm-hmm. losing because there's only one winner. There's 140 players oftentimes in these tournaments. There's only one winner. So most of the time you got to handle losing. And so I think that helped also not just with rejection, but also understanding uh, a loss. Um, so I but the beautiful thing about blackjack is you actually spend most of the time winning, at least you know, 50, 60% of the time. Right. If you're doing it the way we do it, you're winning bigger chunks than when you're losing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But it's still, but still those losses are freaking big. Yeah. Um, if, you know, when they, when they have. I think that the way to look at it, the way that helps me is like you, when you're talking about the relationship with money, being able to process that. I look at money, blackjack money and life money. And the blackjack money, the bankrolls, it's just a tool. So if I have a dent in my bankroll, it's like a wrench broke. So I got to go down to the store and buy another wrench. It's not a big deal. I don't think of it like as money. It's a tool, tool broke mm-hmm. or a tool. You got to fix the tool. That's really what it is. Money in general is a tool, but that is our main tool that we use to make more of it when mm-hmm. playing blackjack. If you can't be too emotional about the money and it goes back to, like you were saying, hearing your parents talk about paying the phone bill or struggling to have this or maybe paying one bill and then putting off that bill to the next bill and that kind of, if that's the background you come from, you know, going on a 200 hour losing streak is probably going to be torture for that person, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I was lucky in that respect because my, my dad was self-employed and was in the real estate business. So he's always investing his money, right? And so I was able to see someone who was an investor and taking their money and using their money as a tool and leveraging that. And that's exactly how I view it on the table. It's a tool that you're utilizing. You know, you're, you know, you have an expected value that you're expecting to receive on that tool. In the long run, you trust the math yep. and you know that that's going to, it's going to come out. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I look at the losses as the math playing itself out like that, that it has to happen. Like you can't win every single time. So if I'm not losing, that's actually when I'm going to wonder, like, what am I doing? Am I doing almost, am I doing something wrong here mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm winning every single time? Or is this just too short of a period, right. To, to really understand the math. Yeah. Right. That that's yeah. like when you hear, 
I, I'm sure you've heard this too. I've heard dealers and floor people and other players say, oh, card county doesn't work. I see those guys coming and lose lots of money. Well, I'm sure you have because they bet lots of money. And so you experienced some negative variants, experienced their negative variants. I just shake my head. And actually, I'm, I'm glad when I hear that because I want them to think that. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's great news. I've, I've heard that a couple of times too. They think that, and, and the, that's the type of person that probably couldn't handle uh <laughs> couldn't handle the, the the blackjack life because their their viewpoint is like oh if you lose once then it doesn't work <laughs> right <laughs> but, or, yeah <laughs> for sure how does your uh, wife handle all of these things it's a great question you know initially she was you know hesitant like like most folks probably are but i think when she saw the money come in and uh you know i was able to to clearly explain to her how card counting works and how there's an edge gained then she started you know to trust me more and then we actually uh did some uh team plays together and it's finding the time with the family to go away on trips yep bingo yeah that's uh that is the that is the the tough thing so i'm fortunate enough where uh, I, I have flexibility in my job. And so I'm, I'm able to do trips, you know, on occasion. So I, I, I try to do one trip a month uh, to a, a market and get in like a ton of hours and just be really efficient with my time. But during the week, it, yeah, it's, it's tough to, to get out and, you know, and, and play, which is why, you know, it just kind of sucks losing your local shop because, you know, when you're doing that, when I was when I had my local shop, I was able to take a couple hours every day out of, you know, the work day and just go in and uh, put in some time. But now, uh, yeah, I have to be a little bit more strategic. Yeah, the biggest mispay of my career actually wasn't on a blackjack game. It was, a, it was another game I was doing another play on. It was an over $2,000 mispay. <laughs> and uh, I also actually have another one, too, uh, that was uh, in regards to blackjack. I'll share that in a minute. But, um, yeah, this one was on another game. And, yeah, I got the mispay, and the other players at the table also got mispaid. We were just kind of looking at each other, and mm-hmm. I was on first base they were on second and third. So I was the last one to get paid, but I also was had, you know, by far the biggest amount of money there. He pays me and he starts to look at his cards and he's comparing them to mine to see obviously if he beat me. And I, to distract him, what I did, you know, back to social engineering, I pointed at my cards and I said, Oh, I win. I win. And he said, Oh yeah. Yeah. So he just pays it out. Like, I almost didn't get that mispay, mm-hmm. but I got it. And so he agreed yeah, with you. Exactly. He didn't want to argue and he had already obviously paid the table. So it was like one of those deals where it was just easier to just not, mm-hmm. you know, people don't, people would generally want to avoid any type of confrontation or questioning. You know, that was a good opportunity to, to take advantage of that. Not that I generally try to induce mispays or anything like that. But, you know, when that type of EV occurs, I try to take advantage. Yeah, you weren't taking shots, to, but you you definitely were trying to skew, since, especially since the rest of the table already got paid. Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, that was one. And then there was another one on Blackjack. Uh, I'll go into more detail on that one. So I had two two hands of table max out. Dealer had an ace showing. So, you know, the play called for using insurance. Did insurance. For whatever reason, I didn't have quite enough uh, on me. I think I had like, you know, table max was like 500. And so I had like 487 or something on there. And I was like, oh, can I put this in here and let me grab the five? She's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. I'll, we'll take care of it. And I was like, okay. I mean, and this is like during COVID, so there wasn't much communicate. It was hard to communicate. So I, I think she said like, I'll take care of it. But I was like, whatever. It's 487. It's close enough. I put it out there. She shows a blackjack. And then she starts breaking down my insurance to pay the insurance bet. And 
and realizes it's under 500. And she, so she calls the, the pit boss over and pit boss reviews, verifies like, Oh, he meant to put 500, but he, he only did 487. Can I just pay him 500? And she says, yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. So I'm like, okay, great. This is nice. She pays me, you know, the, the insurance bet. And during that whole process, she forgets to take both of my yeah. bets, my initial blackjack uh-huh. bet. So that was a really nice one. I think when I calculated what that equals to, yeah, it was a thousand. I've had that same thing happen. Not at those same stakes, but they didn't yeah. take my bet uh, for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, I pretty much i should have broke even on that game on that on that hand and they paid me instead they paid me a thousand yeah because yeah. when we're, we're buying insurance we're hoping they have it so we do break even well that's our show for today hope you enjoyed i will see you down the felt Head to tensandaces.com. Are you serious about becoming a Blackjack Advantage player? If that's your plan, then listen to the real pros first. They will tell you to test out and hone your skills before risking your starting bankroll. Check out the Advantage Player Refinement Program, offered exclusively by Archimedes21.com. The A21 APRP will tell you if you're ready. Until then, look into becoming an investor in Archimedes 21 and start earning right away. 